Boy, what a bumper video, amen? <clears throat> well, we're looking at a new series starting today on the life of David. It's called Boldly Forward for His Glory. All this year has been about for His glory, and we continue that with this series. We just finished one uh, for the first part of being faithful for His glory. And we're looking at now for the se- next several months, actually, that's going to go quite some time, uh, Boldly Forward for His glory. And as we think about that, of going forward, you know, that's how we are created. God created us in order to go forward. You think about our, our mouths are forward, our eyes are forward, our feet go forward, our hands go forward. We go forward. Amen? Y'all with me on that? We're made to go forward, not only physically, but also spiritually. He created us so that we're taking the next step. We're constantly moving forward. We are to be moving forward in our faith, in our walk with Him, growing day by day to be more and more like Jesus. We must be moving forward all the time. And so we're going to see here over these next few weeks, a few months really, about how we're to go boldly forward for his glory as we think about King David and how he moved boldly forward and how he led the Israelites to go forward and he moved forward as well. But also as we go in the midst of this, we talk about these things, we see how we're to move boldly forward in our walk with the Lord and in our faith as well. But before we can actually get to the life of David, we need to back up just a little bit and see a different king, King Saul. Now, the people of Israel, as you may or may not remember, the people of Israel had asked for a king, and so God allows it, and he chooses Saul to be the first king of Israel. Now, this, this first king, Saul, had a whole lot going for him, but there, was, there would be quite the difference between Saul and David. Now, here's the thing. While, while the Lord would assign the role of king of Israel to both Saul and David, they both would not have the same king to rule over them. They had been assigned the kingship over Israel, but each one of them, David and Saul, had assigned a different king over themselves. And we'll look at that as we move along. Saul assigned himself as the king over his life. David had the Lord God Almighty to be king over his life. And the evidence is clear as to how Saul made himself to be the king over his life. But today I want to look at the indicators that are in Saul's life that show that he sat on the throne of his own life. The the Lord Almighty was not his king, but he was his own king. And then as we look at how we can see that here in the passage of Scripture, even though Saul couldn't see it, the Lord certainly knew it. As we investigate that and look at that, then we also need to look at our own lives and say, wait a minute, am I more like David or am I more like Saul as to who is the king over my life? So we're going to look at that. We're going to see the story and ask, could this be me as we think about Saul? So in honor and reverence to the word of God, we're going to look at 1 Samuel chapter 15, verses 1 through 29. If you'd stand as I read this for us today, 1 Samuel 15, 1 through 29, a little bit of scripture, uh, but I want you to... Get the good picture of the story. All right, so let's look. Samuel also said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people over Israel. Now therefore, heed the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he ambushed him on the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. And so Saul gathered the people together and numbered them into Liam, 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to a city of Amalek 
and lay in wait in the valley. And then Saul said to the Kenites, Go, depart, get down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the children of Israel when uh, they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. And Saul attacked the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, which is east of Egypt. He also took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good, and were unwilling to utterly destroy them. But everything despised and worthless, well, that they utterly destroyed. Now the word of the Lord came to Samuel, saying, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king. For he's turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried out to the Lord all night. And so when Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul went to Carmel, and indeed he set up a monument for himself, and he's gone on around, passed by, and gone down to Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Saul. Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. But Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? And Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest we've utterly destroyed. Then Samuel said to Saul, Be quiet, and I'll tell you what the Lord said to me last night. He said, Well, speak on. And Samuel said, When you were little in your own eyes, were you not head of the tribes of Israel, and did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Now the Lord sent you on a mission and asked, Go and utterly destroy and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, But I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, and I have gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me, and I brought back King Agag, king of Amalek. I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took of the plunder, the sheep and the oxen, the best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. But Samuel said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you've rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. And then Saul said to Samuel, well, I have sinned for I transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words because I feared the people obeyed their voice. Now therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you for you have rejected the word of the Lord and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. And as Samuel turned around to go away, Saul seized the edge of his robe and it tore. And so Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And also the strength of Israel will not lie nor relent, for he is not a man that he should relent. Let's pray together. Father, may you have your way in the reading of this word. Lord, in the proclaiming of this word, the message you've laid upon my heart for this day. Lord, I pray that you would give me freedom to proclaim it. Lord, I pray that your spirit have the freedom to move in my heart as well as the hearts of all these folks here today. I pray, Lord, that you would guide us and direct us to be open and receptive to what you need us to hear and understand from the word of God, that it would not return unto you void, but that you would speak to us and deal with us and stir us toward yourself, that we will walk away more determined to love you more, to be more like you, and to live our lives for your glory. Father, I pray the words of my mouth, meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated.
So we're looking then at this passage of Scripture, and we're seeing some evidences of King Saul that he had the king of himself on the throne of his life, not the king. The Lord God Almighty was not the king over his life, but rather it's himself. And there's some evidence of that, and we see first off, the first thing as you see the outline in your bulletin, is that there's this blatant disregard for God's word. There's a blatant disregard for what God has said. There's a blatant disregard. But before we actually dive into that, I want you to understand something about these Amalekites. You may see this passage of Scripture and say, man, this is harsh. But this is something that you need to understand about those Amalekites. The Amalekites were bad people, okay? The Amalekites were a ruthless people, and they were excessively violent people. As a matter of fact, these people, the Amalekites, had raided Israel while they were in the wilderness after they had left Egypt And they were constantly, the Amalekites were constantly provoking and pillaging God's people, Israel. But it is during this period in history when God looks down and he says, or he says to uh, King Saul that he has had enough. And now that he is to exercise justice on, even though he's extended grace, he's exercising justice to these people, the Amalekites. And he's given Saul... Now, a very clear directive of what he needs to do. Well, let's look again at what that directive is in verses 2 and 3. Samuel is speaking to Saul, and he says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he ambushed him on the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy, watch this, all that they have, and do not spare them. But kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. He commands Saul to utterly destroy all of the Amalekites, sparing no one and sparing nothing. As his punishment, as God's punishment for their ruthlessness, for their violence, for their wickedness. But what is it that we find that Saul does? If you look at verse 9, what do we see here that the Bible says that it tells us that Saul does? It says, but Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good, and were unwilling to utterly destroy them. But everything that was despised and worthless, well, they they utterly destroyed them. So what we find here is that Saul has been given a clear directive as to what he is supposed to do. But what, instead what he does is that he keeps the king back and the people keep the, the best of the oxen and the lambs and the sheep and all these things. So God is telling them what he must do. They must all be destroyed, but instead they don't do that. And what does Samuel say to him? Samuel says to Saul, he confronts him in verses 13, 14, and following then he comes to verse 17. And Samuel says to Saul, when you were, listen Saul, when you were little in your own eyes, were you not head of the tribes of Israel? Did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of of the Lord? So what Samuel is saying to Saul is, Look, you say that you have done everything, but in reality you have not. You have not obeyed the Lord. You have given a blatant disregard for the command that God has given you. There's been a blatant disregard for God's word, a blatant disregard for God's desire, for blatant disregard for God's will here, a blatant disregard for God's command. 
So Saul does not completely obey what God had commanded him to do. Well, why in the world would Saul do such a thing? Here's the reason why. Because Saul is the king of his own heart. Y'all with me this morning? Saul is the king of his own heart. You see, it's a funny thing here, but Saul thinks he knows better than God. Well, isn't that fascinating? He thinks he knows a plan that's better than God's. He he has another plan, and here's the thing. He thinks his way is not only better than God's way, but he thinks God's going to be okay with it. He thinks it's okay. God's all right with this plan. It's an acceptable plan. His plan is better. Beloved, here's what you need to understand. You can mark it down. The Lord desires and he expects obedience. He desires and expects obedience. Now, before we get too hard on King Saul, we need to consider something. And here's what we need to consider is that if we are honest, if we were truthful with ourselves, we are all Saul. We are all Saul. How often do we disobey what the Lord has clearly told us that we need to do because we think that our way is best? Instead of serving, as the Lord has taught us that we are to be servants, we feel like we need to be served. Instead of desiring His will, we consider only what is best for me and my comfort and my satisfaction instead of doing what it is that God wants me to do. You see, beloved, we all have a bit of Saul in each of us. Now, we just got to be honest about that. Amen? We just got to be truthful about that. We all have a bit of Saul in all of our lives. But we're disobedient to the Lord and His Word and His ways way too frequently. There's a passage of Scripture in Jeremiah 7, 24. It's not going to be on the screen here, but I want you to mark that verse down. Uh, Jeremiah 7, verse 24, the prophet Jeremiah is speaking to the children of Israel about their, uh, their disobedience. And I want you to hear what the passage says in Jeremiah 7, 24. It says, Yet they did not obey or incline their ear, but they followed the counsels and the dictates of their evil hearts and went backward and not forward. You see, beloved, when we are being disobedient to the Lord, we cannot move forward, but rather what happens is we move backward. We're not moving toward the Lord and toward His righteousness, toward being more like Him, and toward loving Him if we're being disobedient to Him. We cannot move, listen, we cannot move forward in our faith, we cannot move forward in our walk, we cannot move forward if we are disobedient to the Lord because He desires and He expects obedience regardless of our thoughts, regardless of our logic, regardless of our knowledge, regardless of all the wisdom that we have garnered over the years. He expects us to obey Him regardless of all of that. I don't know about you, but when the Lord gives a directive, He does not ask my opinion. Amen? He does not ask my opinion. He doesn't need my input. But what does he expect? He expects me to obey. Even, listen, even if I do not understand it, he expects my obedience. Amen? Amen. Regardless. I love what General Patton said in his book, The Principles for Life and Leadership, when he was talking about picking leaders. He said, picking the right leader is the most important task of any commander. And what he said was, is that I line up 
all the candidates and give them a problem. He says, men, I want a trench that's dug behind warehouse number 10. I want to make this trench eight feet long, three feet wide, and six inches deep. He says, that's all I tell them. And then when the candidates go get their tools, he says, I go inside the warehouse and then I'm watching through the windows. He stands there and he listens to their conversations and the men puzzle over why I want such a shallow trench. And so they argue over the depth and they complain about the job and they gripe that it's too hot or it's too cold to dig and they complain that they're being asked to do such lowly labor. But then finally there'll be one man who will order What difference does it make? He just wants us to do this trench, so let's get it dug and let's get out of here. General Patton says, that's the man who's the leader. That's the man who's the leader. Pick the man who can get the job done. Now, beloved, listen. The Lord desires and expects obedience, not because he's a military general, but because he is God. Amen? He expects that and he, deser- and he desires obedience because he is God. But, and, he, and here's the thing, is that he always knows what's best. You and I can only see at this moment and, what's, and, and behind as well. We can see backward. You know, that's called a memory. We can see backward. We can see right now. But we can't see forward. We have no way of seeing what's coming. But our God is already before us. He's already there. He knows all these things and he knows what is best. We must obey him always. He desires, he expects obedience because he is God, but also because he deserves our obedience as well. Did you notice what Samuel said to Saul in verse 17? He says to King Saul, he says, When you were little in your own eyes, were you not head of the tribes of Israel and did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Samuel is saying to Saul, look at what the Lord has done in your life. You are nothing, and now he has made you king. He's done a great thing for you. He's been good to you. He's been merciful to you. He has done these great things for you. Think about that. And so he deserves your obedience as well. He expects it. He desires it, but he deserves it. Beloved, that should be said of us as well, shouldn't it? That he saw you, and he loved you, and he called you to himself and give, has given you hope and given you forgiveness. So not only does he expect your obedience and desire your obedience, but he deserves your obedience as well because of our salvation. He calls us to be obedient. He desires, he expects, he deserves our obedience, but unfortunately we too often disobey him. Too often, I think, we thumb our nose at him and we trample all over his grace with our blatant disregard to his commands, his word, his will, and his way. The question is, is that us? And all too often, it's too common that that is exactly who we are and that we disobey God. And maybe you're here this morning and you're thinking, okay, well, I sure am, I sure am glad such and such is here today because they sure do need to hear this. Oh boy, I wish they didn't have the flu because they really profit from this today. Because he certainly isn't talking to me. Well, beloved, if that was your conversation inside of your heart and your head, then I got news for you. You've just committed the same act of pride and self-righteousness, having a blatant disregard for the Word of God. Amen? I mean, that's just the way it is. We are so prone to disobedience and thinking it's okay with God. That's what was happening here with Saul. 
It's so easy to be disobedient, thinking the way in which we were, are living, the way that we are thinking, the way that we're acting is acceptable to the Lord. You see, we like being the king of our heart. We love it. We love to rule. We love to be in control. We love to be on the throne of our lives. But do we realize that that is what we have done? We would say, no, 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 no. I wouldn't do something like that. No, he's the king. But then our actions show otherwise. Too often, we make ourselves the king. So we have this blatant disregard. And then secondly, we have this bleating divulged. Now, just so you know, I typically do not use the word bleating in a sentence, okay? It's not something I use a lot. But the bleating is the sound of the sheep. So we'll see that as we move along here. But as we find here, the bleating is divulged. And so Saul was so full of himself. Listen, Saul was so full of himself that he did not even consider that he was disobeying God. Look in verse 12 and 13 again. It says, when Samuel rose early in the morning, he had spent all night praying to the Lord and in and, and, and sorrow for what God has revealed to him about Saul. He's grieved, and so he says in verse 12, when Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told Samuel, saying that Saul went to Carmel. Indeed, he set up a monument for himself, has gone on around, passed by, gone down to Gilgal. And Samuel went to Saul, and Saul says to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. You can just see it. Samuel the prophet, the great man of God, comes. And Saul is so proud of what he has accomplished. And so Saul, Samuel comes and Saul says, look, the man of God, I have performed all that I was supposed to do. I have performed the commandment of God. And even as he is speaking, as Samuel is there to confront him, even as they are speaking, in the distance, they hear these kinds of sounds. <laughs> Yes, that is what you call the bleating of the sheep. There's no better way to explain bah, right? (laughs) The bleating of the sheep. And so that's what's happening here. Saul says, look, I'm innocent here. And, and And Samuel says this in verse 14. Well, then what then is this bleating of the sheep in my ears? And the lowing of the oxen which I hear. It's very clear that what he has done is sin. But it's not clear to Saul. It's clear to Samuel and it's clear to God. Saul was oblivious to his sin because he thought that everything was okay between him and God. Everything was acceptable that he had done and passable to God. Think about how just nonchalantly he says, Oh, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Beloved, aren't we kind of nonchalant about that too sometimes? When God knows better? When he knows it all. You see, it wasn't obedience that he performed, but it was partial obedience. It was partial obedience. What is partial obedience? Well, partial obedience is disobedience. Right? Partial obedience is disobedience. You see, it's not completing the task 100%. 100%. Now, you know what that looks like around your house, right? Partial obedience. Probably didn't happen in your house, and I'm not going to say it happens in ours, but just say, just think, okay, that might happen in your house, that you tell one of your children, you need to empty the dishwasher. And so they go and they begin to empty the dishwasher, and they empty a part of it, 
awful quiet in here right now. And you come back later and it's not completely emptied. Did they obey or not? That's disobedience, right? Maybe they took it out and didn't put it away. That's disobedience. You tell them to empty the trash. And you got three trash cans and you find that only two of them have been, have been emptied. Is that obedience? No, it's disobedience. It's partial obedience is disobedience. Can I get a witness? Amen. Amen. We know what we're talking about here. We've seen this. You've seen this. Here's another thing. Not only partial obedience, there's another thing called conditional obedience. That means if you do this, then I will do that. Or if it suits me, if it's comfortable for me, then I will do it. In other words, we may say, I will live for the Lord as long as everything is going well. It's conditional obedience. Beloved, that's also disobedience. And then there's another thing called delayed obedience. Delayed obedience, that is also disobedience. We are told to do something and we say, well, I'm going to get around to it. Maybe, maybe when, I, when I'm retired. I'm going to do what you want me to do, Lord, but, but, but you've got to wait until my timetable is done. Because I've got bills to pay, I've got a family to raise, I've got, I've got these things that I want to see. I want a boat, and I want golfing, and I want to do all these vacations, and I've got all these things, all these plans that I've got. And Lord, I really want to do everything you want me to do, but first you've got to let me do this first. Beloved, that is delayed obedience, which is disobedience. It's disobedience. See, here's, here's, the, here's the bottom line. Here's where we get to the real issue here, and, and you can mark this down. Obedience is a heart issue. Right? Obedience is a heart issue. You see, if the Lord was truly king over Saul's heart, there would have been no question of his obedience to the Lord. He would have obeyed because he was devoted to him. Obedience is a condition of the heart. Look at verse 22, what Samuel says to Saul. He says, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? But to behold, to obey is better than the sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. You see, what he's dealing with here is he's talking about it wasn't about the ritual of a sacrifice that was going to be pleasing to the Lord, but rather it was about was he going to obey because he was devoted to the Lord. That's what really was important to him. Not the ritual of a sacrifice, but rather the devotion and his obedience to the Lord. He was going to obey because he was devoted. That's what God's looking for. Not the sacrifice, not the ritual, not the tradition, but the devotion of your heart so that you want to obey. You see, there's a difference between religious duty and relational devotion. There's a big difference there. The Lord is looking for the devotion, not the duty. And so what we find here is that it is a condition of the heart. Obedience and doing these things. He's looking for the devotion, not just us performing a duty. Let me explain it this way. Let me let you all in on a little something that happens around our house. Usually around March, about this coming up, early spring, where we used to live in Charlotte County, there were a lot of fields uh, that had uh, flowers that would pop up, you know, just uh, wildflowers or whatever. And there were daffodils uh, that would come up in different places in that area. And there was one particular place 
that I would every year when the daffodils or buttercups or jonquils or whatever you want to call them, when they would pop up out of the ground and they would just get a full little bloom on them, every year about the same time, I would pull off on the side of the road and I would pick about three or four of these in this place and I would take them home and I'd give them to Angie. Now, granted, since we've been here in Colonial Heights, it's been a little bit more hard to find an open field with some of these daffodils, but I think I found them at least one of the years since we've been here, hoping that's going to change real soon. But what would it be if I were to come to her with the daffodils, since we've been doing this for quite a few years, and I was to walk in the house with my daffodils, and I would say to Angie, Angie, I've been doing this for umpteen years now, and so you're expecting this of me, and so here's my duty, and I'm bringing this to you because I'm obliged. Hmm. However, by the way, that would not be good. (laughs) But if I bring my daffodils to her and say, here you go, because I love you. I do this every year, not because I have to, but because I want to. And I get to. Amen? Amen? Which do you think is more important to her? The duty that has evolved over these years or the devotion? Yes. God is not looking for you to perform a duty. He's looking for your heart to be devoted to Him. Amen? That's what He's looking for. And as our heart is devoted to Him, we will be obedient. There will not be a question. We will be obedient to Him. But Saul just couldn't get it. He was not devoted to the Lord. He was just doing his duty. He was devoted not to the Lord. He was devoted to himself. Because he was the most important person to him, not the Lord. We see that in other verses here. In verse 12, uh, we find the verse where it tells us uh, that uh, Saul went down to Carmel. Indeed, he set up a monument for himself. He set up a monument to show what he had done. Look at me. He's taking credit for the victory. In verse 20, we find the verse there that tells us that uh, they kept, they kept back, uh, he brought back King Agag of Amalek. In other words, he had this enemy king in his prison as a status boost. It was very important when you had a king, uh, a king that you had deposed, a king that you had captured, to have him in your prison because that said to the world, look how powerful I am. So not only is he saying, look at me and how important I am, now he's saying, look how powerful I am, what I can do, the great things that I can accomplish. But then we also see in verse 25, when it looks like he's repenting, we'll talk about it in just a second, but it tells us in verse 25 that he, he tells Samuel to please pardon my sin and return with me. You see, what he wanted is he wanted people to see that he was okay with God. Having that prophet with him showed that he was all right, and so it was about appearances. So it was all about Saul. Well, yeah, pastor, I understand that, but look, Saul's not that bad. I mean, after all, he did get rid of those Amalekites. He did get that done, Right. Well, this cuts Saul some slack, you might say. Well, you might think that, but then you have to look at verse 23 as Samuel is dealing with him about, as he tells him, God, how God's word describes his sin of this partial disobedience, this partial obedience. Look in verse 23. He says, For rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Rebellion, this sin of not obeying, this partial obedience, is as witchcraft, like worshiping the devil. Rebellion, this partial obedience, is like worshiping the devil? Wow! It's rebellion against God. And not only that, but he says, your stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. You're setting yourself yourself up as the king of your life, and he, you yourself are the idol. 
And both witchcraft and adultery, just so you know, are sins that are worthy of death. So the sin of disobedience was evident in his life, but he just couldn't see it. Beloved, I wonder. I wonder if we can see it in our own lives. I wonder, as we think about it, it took the bleating of the sheep to divulge the sin of Saul to Saul. I wonder what bleating the Lord hears in each of our lives. Maybe it's the bleating of maintaining the status quo as we are asleep in our pews, literally or metaphorically, whichever way you want to look at that. Maybe it's the bleating of the idols of our technology as we continually tap our fingers on our smartphones or our computers. I wonder if it's the bleating, the, it's the bleating of our conversations that we're having with others that are quick to point out faults instead of pointing people to Jesus. I wonder if the bleating that the Lord hears that points out how we are so far away from him and being disobedient, if it's our car horns with the impatience that we have with other people. Hmm. Or maybe it's the bleating of hearts that are breaking because of some infidelity. What is it? But understand the Lord hears the bleating. There's nothing ever hidden from God. Whatever it is, friends, too often what happens in us is that we just keep moving in life, being happy with 90% or 98% obedient, thinking that everything is just fine with the Lord. But what happens is that we're not moving forward in our walk with him. We're going backwards. We settle for what we think is good at the expense of what is best. Saul was the king of his own heart, devoted only to himself. So here's the question. Who's the king of your heart? Is the king of your heart pleasure? Is the king of your heart satisfaction? Is the king of your heart comfort? Is it food? Is it money? Is it family? Is it work? Who rules your life? For whatever or whoever rules your life is the king of your heart and the king of your life. Is it you or is it the Lord? What is that bleating in the ears of the Lord in your life? Oh, how I pray that all of us would cry out to the Lord and say, Lord, let me hear that I may know. Divulge the bleating and show me my sin and show me the king's that I have placed on the throne of my life so that I can get rid of them and make you truly king. So we have the blatant disregard, we see the bleating divulge, and then we see the blame distributed. So here's another evidence that Saul had enthroned himself as the king over his heart and life. He couldn't accept the responsibility of his sin. He blames other people. Did you notice that? In verse 15 and in verse 21. Saul says, as Samuel has, has just said, what's this, the bleeding of the sheep and mares, the loin of the oxen? And Saul said, well, well, they have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep, the oxen, to sacrifice the Lord your God. The rest we have utterly destroyed. And verse 21, again, the people took of the plunder, sheep and oxen, the best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed. You see, Saul could have chosen... A path of repentance. But what happens is he hardens his heart and he goes down the road of rebellion, shifting the blame on other people. The Bible speaks to this in various places. One is in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 28, verse 13, that tells us that he who covers his sin will not prosper. He who covers his sin will not prosper. But rather, whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. It's good for us to know what our sin is, to confess that sin, 
and go before the Lord and confess it before him. And forsaking the sin, we'll have the mercy of God. We find that indeed that's what happened, that uh, people were trying to shift blame. It goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. You remember that story? God had given them this beautiful paradise. But when they finally sinned, Adam and Eve sinned, God catches them in in their sin and he calls them out on it. And he says in Genesis 3, verse 11, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you that you should not eat? I've given you a command which you shouldn't do. And then the man, Adam, says, The woman whom you gave to be with me, well, she gave me of the tree and I ate. So it's not my fault, God. It's her fault. Shifting the blame. And then the Lord said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman shifts the blame even further. She says, It's not my fault. The serpent, he deceived me and I ate of it. So from the very beginning, it's been the shifting of the blame. This blame is being distributed. Beloved, listen, when we sin, God is not looking for excuses. He's looking for repentance. And he's not looking for us to point fingers. He's looking for us to place ourselves in his hands, humbly submitting ourselves to him, and realizing our need for his forgiveness. But when we mess up, oh, when we mess up, boy, we... When we are disobedient, when we rebel by not obeying, well, we can really come up with some real doozies of some excuses, can't we? Lord, it's really not my fault. And we begin to shift blame. Lord, I would have spent time with you, but you know my kids, they got these games, and we got to do these games. We're late at night getting in, and, you know, I, I just am tired. And you know that, Lord, and so I know it's okay with you. I would spend more time with you, but... Lord... I would have told them about you. I really would have told those people about you. But if you hadn't, if you hadn't let that light be red and made it green so I could get there quicker, I really would have talked to them then. But we can come up with some, can't we? Some excuses of being disobedient to the Lord. But ultimately, no matter what excuses we come up with, it always comes back to us. It always falls back on us. There are never any good reasons for our sin. There's never anything that can justify our sin, and there are, listen, there are consequences to sin. You see, a penalty must be paid for disobedience, and the penalty must be paid. Sin must be paid for, and the penalty, the Bible tells us, the penalty for sin is death. Well, that's a little bit humbling this Sunday morning. Well, it's true. That's what the Bible says. The penalty for our sin is death. We're all sinners. We're disobedient. What hope is there for us? His name is Jesus. Amen? His name is Jesus. You see, beloved, Jesus went to the cross for your and my disobedience. He went to the cross for our blame-shifting. He went to the cross for our excuses. He went to the cross for our wicked rebellion. And he went to the cross for our idolatry of self. He took the penalty that I deserved. He took the penalty that you deserved. He took the shame that we deserve. He took the consequences for the bleeding sheep of our own lives. He could, listen, as Jesus hung on the cross, innocent, sinless, blameless Lamb of God, as he hung on the cross, he could have legitimately pointed to you and to me as he was sentenced to die, and he could have said, but it's not my fault. They're the ones who did it. But he doesn't. And he takes your blame and my blame upon himself on the cross of Calvary. He took it for us. And so while we seek to blame others, just like Saul did, we need to remember that Jesus took our blame. 
willingly, sacrificially, and selflessly because of his love for you. Now, here's the question. Who's the king of your heart? Is it King Jesus or is it King you? We see the evidence of Saul placing himself on the throne of his heart as he blatantly disregarded the command of God. The bleeding of the sheep was divulged and the blame was distributed to others. But here's what would have been better. Brokenness desired. A brokenness desired. Now we look at verses 24 and following. We see that after he is confronted by Samuel, Saul says to Samuel, verse 24, I have sinned. And I have, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord in your words because I feared the people, obeyed the, the voice. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin. Return with me that I may worship the Lord. And then Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you for you have rejected the word of the Lord and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. And as Samuel turned to go away, Saul seized the edge of his robe and it tore. And Samuel said, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. You say, well, hey, that sounds like Saul repented. It sounds like repentance. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever said, I'm sorry, but you really didn't mean it? You don't have to answer that out loud. I think we all know the answer, right? Especially when mama caught you doing something. When mama caught you doing something you weren't supposed to be doing, and you know what the consequences are going to be. I'm so sorry, mama. Are you sorry for what you did? Are you sorry that you got caught? Hmm. That's what happened here. Saul was sorry that he got caught. Well, how can you say that? How do you know that? Because what we've seen here about Saul is Saul was more concerned about his appearances. And repentance, real repentance, calls for a change. And Saul never changes. He never does change. He continued to be a coward. He continued to be a jealous coward who enthroned himself as king over his own heart. And so what the Lord desired was brokenness in Saul, but he did not see it. But what he would see is it tells us there in that passage of Scripture in verse 28, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. That's David. David's better than you, Saul. Why? David would sin, yes. We'll see, as you saw in the bumper video, that looks like that that's about Bathsheba. But the thing with David is once he was confronted with his sin, he was broken and he repented. Saul did not repent. He was just sorry he got caught. Big difference. As a matter of fact, as we'll look at this story as we get to it, but there's a psalm that comes out of this experience where Nathan comes to David and he is convicted of his sin, is confronted by his sin, and has this conviction. And we find that Psalm 51 comes out of that. And in that chapter of Psalms 51, there's these two verses where David says, For you, Lord, you do not desire sacrifice or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. But the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. God desires our brokenness when we fail Him. God knows the heart. You might be able to fool your, your spouse. You might be able to fool your mom and your dad. You may be able to fool your kids. You may be able to fool the work, your people you work with, the people down the street, your neighbor. But beloved, you will never fool the Lord. He knows our hearts. So what thrills God is a heart that obeys Him, that a heart that is surrendered to Him out of a devotion for Him and a love for Him. 
And then when we sin, to see a broken and repentant heart. But here is where we are too often like Saul, is that we don't think we're doing anything wrong. We can be just a little bit disobedient and think we're okay with God. That's where we're so much like Saul. As I was reading about this this week, one of my commentaries was so pointed and powerful, I couldn't summarize it. I just want to read it to you. So let me share this with you real quick. The commentator says, Many people in our churches are giving 90% obedience, just like Saul, and are completely at peace with it. Some are cheating on their taxes or cheating on their school exams. Boyfriends and girlfriends are sleeping with one another under the excuse of being truly in love. Some people are holding on to bitterness, refusing to forgive someone they know that they should forgive. Many heard a call to ministry or to missions, but they're actively refusing to answer. And all these seemingly small acts of disobedience are just as disgusting to God as blatant worship of the devil. He goes further and he says, Too many of us are more worried about being caught in our sin than about the flagrance of the offense before God. We would be embarrassed if our sin was exposed. But we completely ignore the fact that the person most offended, most involved, is God himself who sees and knows our sins completely. And isn't that true? You see, beloved, too often we try to hide our sin. We try to justify our sin. We try to hold on to our sin just like Saul would try to hold on to that, the robe of, of Samuel. We try to ignore our sin when, we, when in reality we should repent of our sin. If only Saul had been a man whose heart was torn and broken over his sin, instead of trying to hold on to his own kingdom, then maybe the Lord could have used him. But that's not the case. And so what happens is that God sets him aside. Now, he allows Saul to serve for 15 more years, but he's already chosen another man in the life of David, a youth who would be the king, one after God's own heart who would obey him. Saul would continue to be a coward, and jealousy will consume Saul right to the very end, and we'll see that. But David would be a different king. Yes, yes, indeed, we will see David fail, and we will see David sin also. But what we will see about David, now hear this, what we see about David is that even though he would serve over Israel as king, he knew who was the real king over his own life. He would be broken over his sin and he would cry out to God because he knew that he needed the Lord. Now, beloved, what about us? What about you? Who's the king of your heart? Is it you or is it the Lord? We are made to move forward, and we can never move forward boldly until we address the disobedience in our own lives and truly repent. Now, three things to do, real quick. Three things to do, real quick. Number one is, ask who is really king over your life. Now, that's a question only you can answer. But go to the Lord in a time of your prayer And ask the Lord, Lord, who is really king over my life? And ask the Spirit to be honest with you and you to be open to receive what he needs to tell you. Who is really king over my life? And as those kings are revealed in your life, then secondly, depose all false kings. 
There's some kings in our lives that need to be dethroned, amen? To kick them out, to not to be king over your life, to depose those kings, to dethrone those kings. And then thirdly, be broken over our sin. It's not okay to sin. It's not okay to be disobedient. Let's be faithful to the Lord. Not just 98% of the time, or 99.9% of the time, but 100% of the time. If you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, who has covered us by the blood of the cross, who's given you hope and has taken our penalty for our sin, then you need to know Him today, because if you don't know Him, then you are under the penalty, and you must pay that penalty yourself. Jesus is there to have already taken that for you if you'll come out, call out to Him as He's calling for you to come to Himself. It's by acknowledging we're sinners in need of a Savior, turning from that sin and turning to Jesus in humble repentance, believing, expre- believing with all of our heart that Jesus is God's Son who died on the cross and rose again bodily from the grave and professing Him as the Lord and Savior of our life. Taking that step of faith. For those of us who are believers in Jesus Christ, we know that we have that righteousness. But there are times when we still fail. There are times when we still disobey, ask the Lord to help us to depose those kings in our lives, that he may constantly rule over our lives because he expects, he desires, and he deserves all of our obedience all of the time. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word this morning. And Lord, we pray that you would take it and apply it to our hearts and that we may live for you. Lord, we want our lives to be for your glory and we want to move forward in our walk with you to take the next step, to grow in the grace, to grow for your glory, to be more like Jesus, to be more in love with you. But where there is disobedience in our lives, Lord, we are not moving forward and we will not move forward, but we'll move backward. Lord, we thank you that you are a God who knows our hearts better than we know ourselves. We pray that you reveal yourself to us and help us to depose all the false kings over our lives and may you have complete control May you be the king over us and in us and through us. May you have authority. May you be the priority. Not because we have to, but because we want to. Because we love you and we're devoted to you. Lord, we yield this time to you as we come to this invitation that we would surrender to you fresh and new. Lord, that you would have your way in all of our hearts. Lord, to yield to you today, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need to come this morning,